Hi guys, welcome to my show, My Steps to Sobriety on YouTube and podcast. And today is a great, fantastic day because I've got a new guest for the show, and that is Michelle Barial. Michelle has very kindly agreed to come onto my show to be a leader and educator about anxiety and to give me her take on the fact that you don't really need the Dutch courage to do amazing things out there. Michelle, welcome to us. I'm so pleased that you're here. Thank you very much for having me, Stefan. I'm very pleased to be with you and your audience. And I'm looking forward to a wonderful exchange. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, Many other guests I have started off to say, to ask them about uh, what they wanted to do when they were children. But having, and and with that, I wanted to loosen my guests up and and I wanted to paint the, the diversity of your dreams and then the reality as life develops. That doesn't really work for you, this question, because already in childhood, you were exposed to alcohol and what it can do to people. Are you happy to share a little bit about that? Yes, um, I experienced that in my immediate family, um, as well as um, some other relatives in um, my father's side of the family and on my mother's side of the family as well, so on both sides, I had that experience where um, they were basically alcoholics and um, they would sometimes go on binges, you know, for days on end where they would get lost and no one could find them. And my, um, my aunt, for instance, could not pay the rent or feed her kids because he had gone with the money (laughs) on his binges. And so I remember hearing my family very concerned about my uncle being, you know, uh, basically irresponsible with his family, uh, you know, duties and leaving them high and dry, trying to figure out how they were going to feed the family when he had just taken the money and disappeared. And also, of course, worried about if he was alive and if he was okay and what was going on. So that I remember as a child, you know, going through those worries with my family. And, you know, as a child, you don't really understand what that means, the ramifications of the disappearance of a relative or a loved one when they should be at home. You know, you didn't really completely understand that. But as I grew up, I definitely understood that, yes, you know, he was being irresponsible and he was being very selfish in a way because he was leaving his family behind to go and just have fun and continue, you know, binging on the drinking. So, and in my immediate family, my dad was more of, um, and that era was kind of like uh, always teetotalers or, you know, happy hours, but happy hours would extend for many hours <laughs> after the two hour limit. And he just uh, continued to, to drink. And um, I guess it was a socially acceptable thing. So I think that for many years, you know, even they would say, oh, here as a child, here, you want some? And I was like, okay, I would take a little sip, but I was like, this stuff doesn't taste good to me and you know as a child I I didn't enjoy it so I remember thinking that it was totally okay to drink until you pass out or until you had to be taken to bed (laughs) by somebody else because you couldn't maneuver your way up the stairs so 
a lot of those experiences I had as a child and, you know, they really stayed with me to think about, you know, how to act as I grew up, you know, what I was going to be doing to, um, to be able to be responsible for myself and my loved ones, as well as, you know, friends that were with me when we would go out and so on. So it was, um, it was a big way to, to explore, you know, coming of age and going through all the challenges of, do you stay with your peers and follow along or do you just decide that you're going to abstain or what, you know, all those challenging questions at that time when you're trying to fit in with your friends and so on. So it was uh, definitely a sort of a roller coaster <laughs> um, experience through my um, puberty and into adulthood, you know, I was trying to figure out what was the right thing for, for me to do. So I've learned wow. a lot <laughs> since then. Yeah. Yeah, no, this, I can't remember it myself in my family, but there are certainly uh, the stories that my mum looked into that cut for the money that we needed to get myself diapers and, and, uh, and food, and it was gone. And my father was gone too, and he was playing cards and drinking in right. a cafe uh, for days without end. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember any of that, but I can remember sort of the, the cocoa flying through the air from this side and the, the cup flying through the air from that side. Uh, so, yes, and then sooner or later, right. the divorce. So, exactly. A lot of drama, a lot of drama, because invariably, when they lose control of their emotions and also, again, of their physical sensations, they get enraged when someone's telling them, you know, to actually stop or get control of themselves or try to tell them not do that in front of the children and all of that. But they just, at that point there, you just, like you said, become more enraged and, and even violent, you know, and you experience a bit of violence usually associated with people that are um, on a binge, <laughs> basically. And uh, it's very sad to watch, you know, it's very sad to, to see them destroy themselves, destroy their family life and, you know, just really not, you, uh, you were old enough to actually take that in and experience it. I, I did yeah. not get that memo. I was too young at that stage. What, what age group were you, are, we, are we talking about now? How old were you then? Since I was, well, it, since I was young, like six, seven, yeah. eight, and then through, through puberty, through my tens and thirteens. Mm. And, they, you know, I remember at that point I was like, answering back like you know you shouldn't get like that that's really uh, terrible that you get like that and you know uh, and just calling them on and, <laughs> and saying that you know it made me very sad his behavior yeah. with my father and um you know with my uncle i just was agreeing with my family that he needed to go get seek outside help professional help if they could convince him to do so because he was just too many years in the same you know repetitive cycle of not you know, improving for a few weeks and then, you know, again, falling off the wagon, as they say. So, you know, I, I did experience that, like I said, on my father's side and my mother's side. So it's just uh, very interesting growing up like that because you could see that, you know, living that kind of lifestyle was definitely one where you were always, in a way, afraid, afraid, like afraid for them. Are they going to be okay? Are they going to come home? Or did something happen? They disappeared? And worried also about your family, like, you know, 
how are we going to manage? How are we going to, you know, are they going to beat each other up when he gets so, you know, mad? And just a lot of uh, things to be living in fear, basically, is what I think a lot of, for a lot of children um, who have alcoholic family members, it's, uh, it's mm-hmm. living in fear for your life and for, you know, your well-being and the well-being of your other members of your family. I wrote a chapter on that in, in my book, My Steps to Sobriety, and um, the impact that alcohol has on families and the indirect effect on the children. And there is there's actually so much going on that is never spoken about. But from a, right. a very early age on, they realize that they cannot rely on others that mm-hmm. promises that are given to them are oh, tonight we're going to have some yummy food and then when they come home from school there's already drinking going and there is no food on the table there's um, right and these kind of the things, promises are broken <laughs> absolutely constantly and that filters through into adulthood that children from alcoholic families which are mm-hmm. probably one in ten in the united states easy maybe more easily maybe one in yeah one in five um Mm -hmm. these children will have later on problems to develop trust in relationships they will no doubt always question will this person be there for me and exactly. they will have their their and their own anxiety without actually knowing what's going on. But they will be not as trustworthy. And you could look at that as a positive thing. Are you going to be disappointed, disappointed anyhow by people in your life? So therefore, if you have got your your warnings up and if you have got your your defenses up, then they can't hurt you. Yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> that doesn't work in but, the long run. Right, right, because it actually it creates, as you said if they're being very defensive or you're being defensive because that's what you experienced, that's the only way to protect yourself and your feelings and so on. Then, like you said, it's very difficult to have solid, intimate relationships, you know, um, with loved ones, because you, like you said, you don't trust, you know, people saying that they're going to do something and actually follow through. And because you've been disappointed many, many times, and you also don't feel that, you know, same thing. Can you really go into a depth of uh, intimacy because you're kind of like I don't want to get hurt you know I've been hurt a lot and I don't want to be there again you know I don't want to bring up those feelings again because it brings up too many other feelings and so yeah it's very um, challenging that's actually I think why I got a lot into um, personal development of myself was to work on my own stuff Mm. and then in turn you know help others in similar circumstances or with similar experiences so I started practicing with hypnosis and all of that that helped me to kind of get a, a handle more on my thoughts and my feelings that were created in my mind so that I could work on little by little, processing them, really eliminating them and coming, as they say, into a sense of peace in my heart, you know, after many, many years and many um, struggles, basically. So it just, you have to do self-work. That's what I think is really to help yourself. You have the bottom line is you have to do a lot of self work to be able to love yourself fully and then give yourself what you didn't receive in your life. So I think that's a big part of what, uh, what you're doing now is because you're reaching out to people through your book and through this medium 
and you're offering, you know, some consolation that, hey, I've been there. I understand you. I get it. And you're, you're providing that sense of trust for them to maybe even tune in, call you, maybe ask questions, you know, that way you're, you're providing a doorway for them to feel like they're not alone, that they're not the only one going through this experience. So I think that's very, very positive all around for the people that are out there that are listening and that, you know, can recognize themselves in past experiences that are similar to, to what we experienced. Isn't it amazing how many of us will actually, if they listen and tune into this podcast or video channel, if they, they will find themselves nodding and think, yeah, okay, I've been there. And it might be the first time that they actually get that inkling, hang on, actually, that is quite right. Because unless you have really done the work, you might have actually not recognized that link. You have right. taken it for granted that, yeah, that was my childhood. And, you know, here, look at me, I'm good now. And right. then actually when you sort of peel away <laughs> the masks of the faces and yeah. uh, you suddenly see, well, A, you're not all right. Uh, B, you're just, you know, you're struggling. And maybe some of the struggles you had very little chance to avoid just by the nature of your upbringing and what has happened to you when you were a younger child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing so you true. said that struck me was the irony that your parents were pointing their finger to uncle so-and-so and, oh, he really needs help, whilst they themselves, no, we, we are normal, we are normal, it's absolutely <laughs> right. all right. That's a, but him, oh, look at him, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's easier to look outside. It's always like that, right? Isn't it? The problems are always over there, not here. They're always over there. It's true, because so. they assume that he was... Um, worse off because he was disappearing yeah. whereas my father would actually just stay home and stay at home and get bloody drunk <laughs> and it was okay but because he didn't run off with anyone mm. else or the money or anything like that it was like oh it's okay it's okay <laughs> so like you said they didn't think of it as anything wrong because it was a different you know it played out differently but as you said, it's, they have to look really, really hard and closely at themselves to realize, you know, this person's mirroring for you what you are doing. It's just maybe in a smaller way or in a, in a less, you might think of destructive way, but it's equally destructive because you're destroying yourself and the relationships it's, with, you know, everything that's going on. Your dad was just a little bit higher functioning than your uncle, <laughs> uh, ultimately. If, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, oh, just dear. a little. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But then, then there is another, another thing that has come out of so far from, from talking to you. You most definitely had a genetic predisposition to become an alcoholic. You mm. most definitely have got the, the gifts from mommy and daddy in your cell cores. Yet, here you are, you never went down the route of alcohol. And isn't that amazing? So whilst, yes, genetics do play a role, what is often much, much more powerful is the self-work and the insights that you can develop 
to learn from learn the lessons from your parents from your uncle see how they dealt with things and they didn't know better that right. was that's really a lot of yeah, no? i think that, that has a lot to do with it because uh, exactly. back then things were like kind of hush hush and things weren't as um i guess as exposed as we are nowadays everybody mm -hmm. has tv shows or virtual shows of their own lives mm -hmm. on screen and and with facebook everybody's like more open about a lot more things i think mm -hmm. so um i think that things are more visual to people you know they can see what's going on in other people's lives is what i'm saying whereas back uh, you know 30 40 years ago it was all very much like i said very hush hush mm. and so no one talked about those things right. at all you know that's correct but it was also everything was normal then remember there was no internet mm. there was no right. no nothing that easily was accessible for you exactly. to seek help Number one. Number two too. is it was not accepted that you are weak because a man has to be strong and exactly. a woman has to be pretty barefoot in the kitchen and throw out the litter as it goes. That's if you right. were more in a religious kind of a uh, traditional upbringing or if it was like the case in my parents, well, I was a, a how do you call them in English? Latchkey kids, I think. Um, oh, yes. It was the 70s, 80s. I was from the word go alone at home and I was looking at myself because both my mum and my dad were working. There were no easy ways for them to, to put the kids somewhere. No, it was all uh, work, work, and then come home and drink and relax. So it is. Right. it was different times, different expectations. Exactly. And I think we need to give our, our previous generation, we need to give them the, the credit and we need to be fair to them to say we cannot we cannot actually address their we cannot judge them by the standards of today i think this true, would be a true. grave grave mistake yeah definitely i mean again each time has its way of um developing and learning from their surroundings and the media at that time the way things were portrayed obviously we're all affected a lot by media and the shows that we see and things like that mm -hmm. So, yes, it was a very different time, as you said, like it was considered normal to come home and relax. And one of the ways you relaxed was, as you said, having a drink or two or <laughs> who knows, you lost count. <laughs> but that was considered pretty normal. You know, it's just a normal, normal yeah. way to handle your stress, basically. You know, that was the way it was. You know, you didn't, nobody was going to the gym per se and no one was doing God forbid, yeah. yoga or meditation. What's that? <laughs> you know, that was never even talked about. Nobody even mm. knew what that was here yeah. in the West, really. True. And spirituality later. at that time was, was linked closely to <sighs> right. oh, feeling exactly. spiritual. Oh, exactly. yeah. Exactly. To the era about, of, you know, free love and the hippies and whatnot exactly. that they exactly. had like a negative so, connotation at that time, too. Mm. <laughs> Or very yeah. positive, if people could remember actually what they did. But that's exactly. another story. <laughs> I think nowadays, yeah, we are we are blessed because we have got people like you and me who are happy to speak out, and by showing that you can overcome obstacles and that you actually can live a life that is absolutely fantastic and beautiful without drugs, without alcohol. 
right. that can be a you very powerful thing. Other ways, as you said, to live your life that you feel content and that you feel, you know, that you don't have to find sources outside of yourself, basically, to give yourself um, peace of mind, to feel relaxed. You're not looking for substances or, as they say, um, you know, coping mechanisms nowadays, they call it. So you're not looking for exterior things to be able to feel, you know, I can feel relaxed without smoking a joint or drinking a drink. And I can find other ways to relax that are, you know, equally um, pleasing to my body and my mind. And so those are things that, you know, again, if you've worked on yourself, that you can have a sense of, okay, there's lots of other ways that I could choose to exercise outside and enjoy nature and be, you know, um, with my friends, but we can have conversations instead or watch movies together or something else that's not necessarily with drinking and recreational drugs and so on. So there's lots of ways to have fun <laughs> without <laughs> those other elements, basically. That's, that's what I believe in. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's something we all learn, you know, and we learn sometimes through changing, for instance, our, our, we can't change our family, so, of course, and our genetics, as you said, but we can certainly change the people we socialize with because at one time, the same thing, when my, a lot of my friends were choosing, you know, to do drugs regularly, I was like, okay, I think I need some new friends. <laughs> I think I am not going to stay in this circle because I didn't feel the same way they did. I, I realized, you know, hmm. maybe I was boring to them or, you know, oh, you're, huh. you know, you're, you're just, uh, you know, you don't, you don't know how to have fun or whatever they would tell me, but I'm like, it's just, I do it differently. That's all I think differently. And I know I need to be with people that think like, like I do that you could do other things to have fun. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, like I said, recreational drugs or drinking. You could do a lot of other things that are a lot of fun. So I started going in a different direction and my high school friends that I had known some of them since childhood, like they, just faded away. You know, we just went in different circles, different social circles and it's okay. You know, sometimes you don't always grow together, you grow apart, but it's sometimes it's what you need like to grow. That's just it. You need to grow and you need to grow in a way that you're happy with yourself. That's the most important thing for you. You have to be happy mm -hmm. and true to yourself. And many times I did things by myself because I couldn't find someone to join me mm -hmm. to go where I wanted to go. And I learned that it was okay, that it was really okay to be alone at a movie I really wanted to see and there was no one to go with me and I would go. Or I wanted to go, go I don't know, what, a meditation group and no one really thought that was really fun or cool. So I'm like, okay, I'll go by myself. <laughs> And that's Beautiful. what I learned to do. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So. Michelle, that, that is exactly what people in recovery learn. Because they, they have had their set ways. And it was typically for an alcoholic, it means that you were together with other alcoholics because you wanted to, right. to have that reassurance that your behavior is actually completely acceptable. So therefore, exactly. you, you surround yourself with people who are like-minded and you're all drinking like fishes and therefore it becomes absolutely normal. Yet then if you suddenly move in circles where someone has maybe an evening where there is no alcohol served, I would have thought 
at my drinking days, oh, what a, what a horrible, horrible <laughs> evening. And yet... What am I doing? <laughs> I know, I know. Because I had literally not learned how to relax without alcohol. For me, alcohol had become, from the early 20s, such an integral part of my personality that it was literally impossible for me without external help to strip myself from that part of my personality. It was like cutting an arm off, ultimately. And maybe more than an arm, because sort of half a brain, probably, and certainly <laughs> lots of the emotions. Because what I experienced when I went into rehab and in the first few months after rehab was a void, an emptiness, a nothingness, where I could not define myself. I could not tell you who I am. If you had asked me, Stefan, who are you? What do you like? What are your passions? There was nothing there. There was no passion. There was no, it was, it was just flat. And nowadays, fast forward seven years, the passion with which I live, the energy that I put into living has virtually no bounds. But that was nice. certainly not the case at an early stage. Right, absolutely. Do, may I ask, you have children, have you? No. My, no. my pleasure is actually teaching children. I've been a yoga Excellent. teacher for children. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> and I've been um, actually a tutor for children yeah. Um, yeah. through elementary school age. So because yeah. I wasn't able to have any children, I, um, oh, I teach everyone else's <laughs> and enjoy everyone else's. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> no, I oh, guess yes. what, I was, what I was trying to, to do is lead to the scenario where maybe a 14-year-old a uh, niece of you says, look, I know you're doing, doing this, this work there with, with others, and I'm, I'm so in awe of you that you can talk to others and that you are so strong. I can't open my mouth at school. I turn beetroot red, and I'm, you know, I can't talk to the boy that I really like. And I, I'm just so shy. But you know what, Auntie? I've had a drink and it felt so good. And it was so brilliant because I could talk and I was laughing and I was telling a dirty joke. Right. <laughs> uh, what would you say to that niece? I would say that, yes, definitely drinking initially gives you confidence. But again, it's just for a little while. It's not real confidence in yourself. It's just because the, the alcohol itself is a drug that brings down your inhibitions and also gives you that sense of like, like, like when you're doing an athletic thing and you actually um, make an achievement, you're the best runner or you're the best, you know, um, throwing the most baskets or whatever. So it's kind of like a... a runners high, as they say, or when you have the, that part of your brain that's receiving the dopamine, and that's actually what makes you feel like super powerful and feel like you're confident and that you're not shy and you lose all your inhibitions to talk to whomever and even act really outrageous sometimes because you're feeling this euphoria, like you're happy. So yes, you can definitely get hooked on that feeling 
and want to experience that over and over, but you can actually still create that feeling within yourself without having to use alcohol or any, any other type of, you know, recreational drug. You can actually learn to feel that way about yourself every day if you just practice it. And that's really what creating confidence is about, you know, learning to accept yourself as you are, you know, and then also learning to, to love yourself whether or not other people are, you know, opening up to you. But usually once you feel confident in yourself, other people are naturally going to be attracted to that energy that you're going to have, that upbeat, positive energy. And when you're having fun, even by yourself, you know, laughing by yourself and so on, people are going to be like, what is she, what is she laughing about? Why, why does she look so happy? What is it that she's got that I want some of that? I don't know. I'm going to go over there and talk to that person because, you know, they're curious about what it is that you have that makes it seem like you are having fun and don't need anybody else that you're okay with yourself. And that's really what the self-confidence that you can create in your life is going to help you to do. Whereas if you're relying on something from the outside, it becomes your crutch and you're always going to need something outside of you to feel good. And that's not where you want to be. That's not really a complete life. That's actually just, you're living through something else. You're not really experiencing life. And in fact, it actually kind of puts like a damper on your feelings. You think you're feeling things, but you're not because you're numbed out. Your, your brain is sort of anesthetized and your feelings are also, you know, put in this sort of dreamy state and it's not reality. So you're not really experiencing life fully when you're having a drink or any other drug to be able to think that you need to be high to feel good around people. So I would say to my niece that, you know, to try doing things that give, think of what brings you joy and doing those things, whether you are with someone or not, if you can't find anyone to do them with, go and experience those things for yourself. And actually might find an opportunity where you meet other kinds of people that are on the same wavelength, the same energy pattern that you have, and then you'll attract a different crowd and you'll be happier because you'll have new people to experience what you want to experience in your life now. Perfect. It's a, it's a wonderful way. That's, that's exactly what, where I would think I would go with such a question. The, for me as a doctor and for me as an alcoholic, the way she describes the high that she experiences is too good to be true. And, uh, in, and that's a silly saying. What I want to say is that she, just by her description, I know that she will become an alcoholic if mm. we do not guide her in a better way. Right. The reason is she has got the superpower, the super dopamine response, where mm. as an alcoholic, you get far higher dopamine levels compared with uh, people who don't have the genetic predisposition. So right. therefore, for her, wow, really the lights go on and the fireworks go off and it's beautiful. And right. it's the magnitude of the, the pleasantness, the magnitude of the, the beauty that she's experiencing, which is so dangerous. And it exactly. will never be again so beautiful. So again, that might be something to, to point out. 
the first time and the first few times will be like that sooner rather than later that is no longer you're not achieving that high and you want more and more and more right right it becomes a vicious circle like you said and you just want you don't know how to control yourself that's just it you get out of control because like you said you want more and more of that sensation you know so you lose yourself Basically. The problem, of course, is the next day, the anxiety uh, is, uh, is a nice description because your anxiety will continue and it will be far more, right. far higher because you suffer the hangover. You might have a memory loss and you have no idea what you have been up to. What you did, or, right? That's right. Or nowadays, people put pictures out of you maybe not being such a, such a nice, nice position or nice way i mean nowadays right. young young girls they all look the same it's, it's they know their their perfect position with some lips out and it's perfect <laughs> and the moment if you dare to take a picture from the other side that their world breaks apart and now can you imagine then when they are under the influence of alcohol and someone takes a picture where you uh, exactly oh my goodness the world ends and exactly. I think that's the that's the kind of thing that I would also point out to that young girl because she will be it, the way she describes herself. I'm sure she's very self conscious and self self aware of her social media presence, etc. Absolutely, that's super important. Isn't <laughs> that's it? That's everything nowadays. No, no. So there you are saying, well, actually, why don't you live your life? And yes, if there are nice pictures whilst you're doing something that brings you joy and brings you fulfillment well that's nice that you've got a nice picture of it but don't make the pictures the the sole purpose of your living uh and i can see that this is quite hard do you do you work with younger people to or who's sort of the, the typical person that comes to you and that works with you I work with younger people. I've worked with um, children in elementary school and, and in um, junior high and so forth. So I've worked with younger people. And there is a lot of you know peer pressure to fit in. And there is a lot of that, as you're saying, to want to be in that sort of you know uh, place where they are feeling elevated by you know their, their peers that are acknowledging them like, oh, look, you're doing, you, you could do this, you could do this, you know, when they're going through like trying to drink, you know, the tequila, hit back the tequila or do the shots and, you know, <laughs> they're trying to show off, obviously, that they have the ability to master their, their bodies. And so um, that's very common. So children, they're not even children, they still are children because they're under 18, but they are, you know, they're doing what they think is like a, a rite of passage that, you mm. know, if they can do these things, then they are, they've made it, you know, to a point where they can handle themselves. They feel like if they can, you know, mm. not get sick and not <laughs> fall over, <laughs> that they're going to be okay. <laughs> The same but thing. it's not the case <laughs> no that's for sure not the, the other thing is that strikes me is that we have made them walking billboards they are really they might as well have a big sign around them because the the, the, the liquor industry is actually very clever they do social mm-hmm. media campaigners and influencers that are saying here you take our tequila brand and you do something really stupid 
and hold the tequila and wow, you're great and way and you put it on our website there, which basically is you making free advertisements. Exactly. <laughs> it's, a, it's of course all out of your own free will. Sure. sure. And <laughs> it is amazing the social engineering that is going on there behind the scenes. Oh my God. Or like being dared. Yeah, oh, exactly. Are you brave enough? Are you no. going to do this? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> you know, it's usually that's how that goes. To fit in again, they're going to take up their friends on those challenges. <laughs> yeah. That's, I guess, I don't necessarily have a problem with that happening once. If you want to be sick like a dog and vomit for hours into the, <laughs> the porcelain bowl and <laughs> exactly. call your rap, uh, that's fine with me. Right. Do that once. That's, your choice. And yeah, that's hopefully right. you'll learn from it. <laughs> now I want to do it again. That's right. Um, and yeah, it is, it's hard to draw the middle way between something or I believe evil. Not ever, ever try it to normal. Yeah, you just got to learn for, through your own mistakes. Un unfortunately, you, you do have to learn through your own <laughs> mistakes, even when you see it, you know, happening to your friends and so on you don't really know what it's like until you experience it so as you're saying in a way they have to all experience it at least once sometimes maybe twice but as long as it doesn't become you know a habitual thing then you're going to be okay but if it becomes something that you're doing habitually because you want to again please your friends you want to be well liked or something like that then you're then that's where the problem is because that definitely means that you're again seeking outside of yourself validation and you're not mm. believing in your own self-worth and you're not worrying about well how do i feel this makes me sick but do i still want to keep doing this you know mm. is it something that's a good thing for me to do to myself you know so i think that that's where young people have to focus on you know more about what's important for them make their choices based on their own needs and their own desires rather than trying so much to to follow the crowd basically and, and fit in uh, michelle where are you based are you more in a rural setting or more in 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 a city what kind of in a city of, in, a, in city? a city yes is there how, how how easy is it for a young person to get alcohol nowadays oh very 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 easy it's available everywhere <laughs> so it's you know there's lots of like i said it's a city so there's there's mm. plenty of places that that, that mm. people can get it and consume it and and there's plenty of taverns and bars and resto bars and all that stuff so yeah. it's the same here it, same here too i mean the yeah. availability is just tremendous and exactly also, the advertisement is therefore everywhere. And we, I found the advertisement side of it actually quite astounding. Even if you say that, well, actually, alcohol advertisement in the way that it was done in the 80s, 90s is, is no longer done. If you look at things like Netflix or Amazon, um, such uh, productions, uh, you might say, no, no, there is no alcohol advertisement there. 
a recent study Absolutely. actually looked at that. <laughs> no, they looked at that and they were saying every three minutes, regardless yeah. what you watch, you will exactly. see someone drinking alcohol, using alcohol, having alcohol, exactly. uh, you know, and it is amazing the way we are conditioned to believe that alcohol is absolutely normal. That's normal and that it's glamorous. That's it's, right. now you just said it because most often the people that are having the fun are the ones, you know, in the movies that are at a show or at a, um, in a casino or something of that nature where, you know, that's more likely where it's going to be mm. part of the fun. You know, you can't have fun without it, you know. So if you want to go and relax at the mm. casino and and see a show and all of that, then, mm. I mean, they offer it. They offer it. Play. Keep playing. We'll give you more drinks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <so>. Exactly. <laughs> so, so it's the most amazing thing. <laughs> you pump oxygen into a casino. You give free drinks. <laughs> and exactly. then you, you wonder that you've spent 12 hours flat out gambling and you have lost half exactly. of your house. Um, right. <laughs> how did that come about? I wonder. <laughs> exactly. Oh, goodness. But that's, that's that's, a, sorry. <laughs> no, it's a very interesting, like you said, the, that's a form of entertainment. <laughs> a form of entertainment, like you said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's, there's definitely not a, not a good way to, like you said, to go in and think you're going to have fun, that it's going to be free and that it's not going to be <laughs> something that you're not going to regret because yeah. that's right there is a, definitely uh, yeah. a loaded combination <laughs> playing with money well, and drinking well, alcohol that a good thing <laughs> no comment yes exactly <laughs> now exactly. luckily i was never in that position uh, but i mean i i looked at the costs of drinking alcohol and for someone like me, who was quite a robust drinker, uh, two bottles of wine wouldn't go very far. I mean, that was sort of the minimum. And a bottle of wine here is about $15. Um, so even a special offer, you know, $10, uh, it, it quickly adds up. By the time you have done, you know, two, two bottles a day, plus then an extra one that you then pour away the next morning because you say, no, I won't drink anymore. That's it. Down the gurgler it goes. And yeah, by the time you've blinked at those 15, 20 bottles of wine a week, which can mm. be a bit embarrassing when you do the recycling and <laughs> don't judge me. Okay. This is, I had a party. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, if you do the maps very quickly, you're 15, $20,000 uh, per year uh, extra alcohol costs. And then the costs of you having takeaways and eating rubbish or buying stuff on Amazon or right. whatever under the influence. So Whilst my e-rehab, a month in rehab, cost me 27000 that's actually very quickly uh, coming back in. So within a year, year and a half, uh, that cost was offset with the fact that I wasn't drinking anymore. And then anything from thereafter, well, yes. I'm saving... Way to 20, look at it, yes. Well, exactly. <laughs> I'm saving, I'm saving $20,000 a year uh, wow. just by not drinking. <laughs> so it's quite cool to look at it from that angle. But but your take on the whole thing is really the anxiety. And I love it. I love it. I love it. Because you are helping people to work on the underlying cause of drinking, the underlying cause of their whatever 
outlets they have. It might not be drinking, it might be gambling, it might be porn, it might be all kinds of other outlets of their, their distorted energies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the anxiety is often the underlying thing because we hate anxiety. The anxiety is a painful thing. So you want to get rid of the pain. You want the reward. Exactly. And that's why you use the chemical substances, etc. Exactly. So, so how, how do you go about this anxiety thing? It's not very nice. Mm-hmm. And have you found the magic button? <laughs> I come to you and you, you hypnotize me and we do that once and I go home and I'm all cured. Yes. <laughs> My week. <laughs> no. As you know, nothing, there is no magic pill out there. Even if they were to tell you, yes, there's no such thing. Oh, hell, a lot of people want to peddle that pill, okay, or right, uh, right, whatever. Right. That. <laughs> and if you exactly. really believe that, that will sell you also a used car and a life insurance. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. <laughs> exactly. So. There's no such thing as a as an instant cure-all, but uh, it does hypnosis and other techniques that I use. I don't know if you've heard of tapping also. Um, I use those techniques to be able to help the person, as you said, come back to the place where it all began. What is really the underlying anxiety? What is the initial event? Even in childhood, very often, more often than not, is there is an event tied to or correlated to the fact of that pain. And that Childhood pain or trauma is really what's still replaying in their mind years later. And that's actually what's causing them to want to cover up that pain and want to hide it and want to use this sense of happiness or euphoria that they get when drinking because it numbs the pain. And that way they don't have to feel those feelings so that's really one way that um, hypnosis works and eat the tapping also is what I teach them to do the tapping so that they can continue every time that those feelings come up. They can process it themselves. They can learn to actually process, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Um, my friends want to come over and, you know, I don't know how I'm going to handle this because now I'm not drinking and, and they, they still like to drink. So what am I going to do? So you know you can be tapping on yourself to get rid of that anxiety and bring the the notches down you know to a five and lower than a five is the ideal sort of gauge to measure your level of anxiety so that's one way that i out of of ten yeah sorry one through ten yes so the idea is that you you can program yourself to learn how to get rid of these feelings that's the ideal way because as you said Hypnosis is something that takes you back so that you acknowledge where the pain came from and then you're ready to maybe in one session, maybe in two sessions, it depends, but maybe when you're ready to let it go, you can completely let it go and then you already know what was the trigger. So now what you're doing is just continuing to process any residue of that, those feelings each time a similar situation comes up. So each time you're in a group setting or you're in an unfamiliar setting actually that produces more anxiety, then you'll actually have a way to control it. So using tapping is one method that I recommend that they can use to, and breathing. My other favorite thing is breathing. (laughs) So simple. (laughs) But when you breathe, you know, (laughs) you can control your mind and you can control your body, (laughs) but with intention to 
taking a deep breath as you hear people say and relax and you got to actually focus on sending that breath and that energy all throughout your body so that you truly can feel relaxed everywhere in all of your muscles and organs and everything and that way you have control of yourself and how you're feeling and what you're thinking so it gives you a sense of empowerment really that you can do this for yourself you don't have to rely on me or any other therapy but once you feel that you have control of yourself your emotions then you know whatever is happening on out there in your life and in your surroundings it's not going to really have that much of a impact on you once you learn how to be able to relax your body relax your mind and be able to have tapping as a resource to be able to control those feelings that come up so it's just about learning new ways <laughs> to um, control old things that are still creeping around in your thoughts and still in your in your mind and your body even though you think it happened so long ago but it does really really does affect you into adulthood if you don't take care of it really those old traumas still hang around for a long long time until you face them it's like facing your your fears and your your doubts and trying to um instead of them controlling you you have to be able to be empowered to control them those feelings and those thoughts when they come up 100% agree 100% your your all all those things that you have just described I'm um, using and have used myself and it is a such a powerful thing what I love to to hear from you is that you teach these techniques for the people who come to you to actually learn and take away as their own so when you think about hypnosis, those of you out there who have never been exposed to it, it's not something stupid where they make a stage show out of you and, and will control no. your mind. Uh, no. None of that rubbish. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, I, I had uh, some PTSD and that was playing havoc with me. And I sought out a, a life coach and she did uh, hypnosis with me. And it was an amazing, an amazing sensation. And I had already a good repertoire of breathing abilities and exercises. But for her to teach me the self-hypnosis and to give me other strings to my bow was just a very powerful thing. So you have already alluded to to three things from the breathing to the self-hypnosis to the tapping. And that's quite important because you might be the master of meditation and the master of, oh, give me half an hour and I will be just right. The problem is life doesn't wait half an hour for you. So the anxiety <laughs> is there right now. And actually, you're, you that's right. Fast. That's right. You need to do something, okay? And if you teach yourself how to breathe or if you've got another technique that works for you, wow, this is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And there are sometimes days when things don't go right. And I, uh, as an anesthetist, I'm in theater. Sometimes there's got tense situations there. And often nurses say, wow, 
you are sighing a lot. You are breathing a lot. What's going on? I said, no, that's just fine. I'm just taking a deep breath. In reality, I'm centering myself. I'm calming down. I'm doing all the work there. And it is... Uh, they don't need to know that uh, there and then. They, they know the tension is there anyhow. So uh, don't focus on me. Let's focus on the situation kind of a thing. But yeah, learn as much as you can, guys, out there. Expose yourself to different techniques because there might be moments where one technique is simply not not practical. There might be moments where your method just doesn't work. It works all the time, just not that that moment. So right. have a plan B, have a plan C. And that exactly. Is working with someone like you, Michelle, is so powerful because that's what you learn. That's where you focus. And the other thing that you said is dealing with the trauma. In my experience in the last seven years, I thought I had dealt with, you know, I've done my work. I've done my mm-hmm. 12 steps. I've, I've done it all. Thank you very much. I've done just the tick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. You think you've ticked it and then it comes back and you think, hmm, obviously I need to do a bit more work on that particular drama because that still keeps sending me waves from the past. doesn't matter that it's 30, 40 years ago. It still says, hello, I am here. Exactly. So exactly. need a bit more work to be done. And to give you a parallel uh, example from medicine, when you get older, your joints give out. And sooner or later, you might actually have a hip joint replacement for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. So this really painful hip is being replaced. You learn to walk again and suddenly think, beautiful life, bring it on. And then the other hip goes. (laughs) Now the other hip was going all the time, but that, overshadowed everything that one hip so now you take the pain away suddenly you realize the pain that comes from the other side and that might exactly be the same with trauma you think everything boils down to what happened when you were a child and you deal with that and feel really good about it and then suddenly something comes back to haunt you so to speak from uh, when you were 20s and right. something that you had not thought about for a long time because it was all overshadowed by something that appeared to be more urgent or more destructive or more more a a a danger to you because that's mm-hmm. really what what your body does it, it goes back exactly. to the reptilian brain and this anxiety is basically whoa you need to be aware because at the moment if you're not aware then the bear will kill you or the snake will bite you etc and it made sense when you were on the cave floor. It doesn't make sense when your anxiety is all about meeting your friends or going out to a certain restaurant or so. It is just these these self-mechanisms that were deeply, deeply programmed into you. They are on autopilot and they come out at, at times when really, actually, where your autopilot is broken. And that's where, where your techniques come in. That's where the self-hypnosis comes in. That's where, where the, those techniques come in, where you raise the awareness of what is really going on, the mindfulness, all these things. Exactly. So, oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. I mean, Michelle, I'm so pleased that there are people out there like you who can help. Because certainly my PTSD, 
uh, it was bizarre within free hypnosis sessions that baby was put to bed and perfect yeah i i was i was uh, a fast responder there and it was the most beautiful thing and it was the moment i made the link what was going on now with what had been going on in the past then i could consciously and subconsciously work on it but i had not made that link i had mm. not made that that relationship so therefore it was constantly festering and until suddenly the lights went on and i sought the help and bang sorted exactly but i'm i'm sure i'm very sure in the next five years something else will crap uh creep up on me something else will come back from my subconscious and it is what it is and right. I'm, I'm it is, very happy. it's not uncommon that that happens because i really liken our experiences to like uh, we're an onion and there's different layers of the onion yeah. you know as you peel it off and and invariably like you said the experience that you thought you had cleared and you were done with thank you very much i'm done been there okay then suddenly something else comes up that again links you back to that experience you like but wait a minute I took care of this. Why is this coming up? And again, there's always some residual energy that maybe you didn't really take care of that you somehow leaked back in. And so that's something that we're always, always basically working on our stuff, if you will, because there's always connections, you know, down the road as you meet different people and have different circumstances that are going to take you back just to kind of like recheck. Did I really get rid of those feelings? Did I really <laughs> truly forgive myself? And now I'm ready to move past this or not? So that's really, I think it's, it's really a way to reinforce what we've already learned. Mm. You know, like when you do a review in school and you used to review all the time, the material at the end of the year, oh my God, you got to go through all that again. But it's just to make sure that you really, really, you know, ingrained yeah. it or, or really learned it. So it, that's what I think it is with us in this school of life. I think that, that we call here our experiences on this earth that really we're kind of like re-experiencing sometimes challenging moments to see if in fact we really got the lesson, if we really, you know, are able now to see it from this perspective now, 20 years, like you said, later, and hmm, this situation seems familiar. And then you remind yourself, how did you resolve it the last time? Or, or what can you do now differently because you have more experience and it's 20 years later and what would you do differently from when you were a young person? So I think that's a reason why sometimes we re-experience things in our lives. It's to see the outcome now that you have more tools, as you said, at your disposal. So now what are you gonna, are you gonna remember to use those tools now to get you through that experience again and come out with flying colors or you know what can happen you know yeah. are you going to experience it kicking and screaming or are you going to be able to go through it and like oh yeah and i remember when this happened the last time this and this and this happened and i was mm. so mad but hey i'm going to go with the flow now i'm not going to get upset <laughs> about it because i know that you know it I already went through something just like this you know different face different place but more or less the same feelings are coming up and that's how you have to like look at your life from a different perspective. I think that's what it, it's meant to take you back so that you could re-experience it and then see that the emotional charge is hopefully not there. And now you handle it differently than you had before. So, 
Beautiful. And to pass that grade <laughs> and mm -hmm. go on to the exactly. next grade. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the next mountain to climb. Uh, but that's, that's life. That's why you, yeah, you can like it life. or you lump it. Uh, it um, will still be there. <laughs> you better start climbing. Right. Work on exactly. it <laughs> just... Look, if people, if people want to get, uh, get to know you better, if people would like to work with you and explore some of the, their own demons and exercise those demons, <laughs> shall I say. Uh, how do they go about it? Well, I have my website is called Healing Hearts and Minds because again, I work with the emotional stuff in your in your heart, your feelings, and uh, and then how you process them in your mind. So that's why I put the two together: healing hearts and healing minds. So that's www.healingheartsandminds.com. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I have a report on my website on the home page. You can, uh, if you're feeling some stress now because of everything that's going on, obviously, in the world, I have a free report. So you can download that and it would uh, bring you into my mailing list so you can get a lot of more information and other articles that are helpful to you. But it's called um, Stress Stoppers. So you can link there to be able to sign up to be able to get that free report. And it talks a lot about the simple ways that you can help yourself dealing with stress on a day-to-day -day basis. So there's, there's ways that they could reach me. And, and mm -hmm. if they want to have a strategy session, there's a button and a link there for also having a free strategy session. That's brilliant. So, and I'm going to put the links you. to your, uh, to your uh, details uh, below into the podcast and into the awesome. YouTube video. So it is easy for people to get to you. Now that's brilliant. Oh, Michelle, I'm so grateful that, that we could make today, uh, that we could set the time aside and have a really yes. good chat about the anxiety and the way that we too see the world. And it, 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 it transpired that we both are actually cut from a similar cloth as far as our insights are concerned. And the way we think about the world. Um, I like it that you do specifically say there's work to be done and it is really work it is not something that they come once to you or even three times to you you hypnotize them and then all their their problems are done you are opening the door for them but that's they have it. to walk that's what i always through. say i have the key to your transformation <laughs> but you have to be willing to open the door yeah, exactly. <laughs> to let yourself in and out so you have to be willing to open up your conscious mind your subconscious mm. mind particularly and allowing the transformation to happen and then you have to continue you know with the suggestions that i'm going to make post-hypnotic suggestions and then other sometimes mm. i give people a chance to read certain books that might apply to their situation or things they can listen to for difficulty with sleeping and so on. So lots of other things that we can explore together to, to help you lead a better life, a happier life. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for all the, the beautiful work you're doing out there. I'm sure you will have a struck a chord with, with some of our listeners and viewers. And I so hope that through your guidance, they can uh, go somewhere to a place where they recognize what they need to do, that they can see that they get the guidance that they deserve to turn their life around in that direction that they really want to head to, that they get the vision cleared, that they get their compass realigned, that they now know, okay, that's where I need to go. 
And exactly. yeah, okay, there are a few hills in the way. Well, let's get going. <laughs> and it's amazing. There's it's always, like, <laughs> you got to enjoy the journey. <laughs> There's oh, always, yes. you know. <laughs> exactly. And you have no idea what you will experience on this journey. And certainly right. for me, the last seven years were beautiful. Uh, I walked mountains. There were some avalanches as well. Um, there was, there will be ups and downs, and some of the downs can be quicker than you blink. But right. equally, the highs that I've experienced and that I do experience now are so much higher than any high due to alcohol I've ever experienced. Even right. the best high at the early time is nowhere near the satisfaction and the joy that I experience now because I've, I'm living my life to the fullest in the present, Absolutely. not Fully in present. the past. That's what I was yeah. just going to say. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's why you're enjoying it so much because you're fully present now Indeed. and aware. Indeed. Yeah. Michelle, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on to my show. Oh, it was an you. absolute it's honor to talk to you. Absolutely. Likewise, and let's stay likewise. in touch and uh, see how we can support each other with regards to, to making this world just that little bit better. Little step right. by step. One person at a time. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Michelle, look after <laughs> yourself. You. And all of you guys out there, I hope you got as much out of this interview as I did. Look after yourselves and have a fantastic life, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Dream on, dream on